the month. As you can tell, we are few in number up here, but that does not mean we cannot worship the Lord. So stand up on your feet as we worship this morning.
Well, amen and amen. You can grab a seat for just a second. So glad to see you here. Uh, I know we have several folks out on vacation, just as Quez said, so that's why it looks a little different up here. And, and this front side is, is looking a little thin this morning. Um, but so we got several folks out traveling, and so I know they're watching online. So, But we're so glad to see you here today, excited to be able to worship together. You can see a few things going on in your bulletin. I'll just draw your attention to a couple things. This coming Wednesday night is going to look a little bit different than usual. We're going to gather together in the fellowship hall. We're going to have some pizza and play a couple games. And then we're going to scatter to pray over our campus as we go into VBS next week. And with that being said, so next Sunday evening, we're going to be having a luau. And so this is going to be our kickoff to VBS. We're going to be having all kinds of food and fun and games and activities. So I want to encourage you to be here next Sunday evening for that and encourage some friends to come, invite some neighbors, invite some coworkers to come be a part of that. And if they have not registered their kids yet for VBS, there will be a registration station available there Sunday evening. And so I invite you, encourage you to be a part of that. And then we kick off VBS Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 12. And so we are so excited to be in prayer this week for that as we get ready and prepare. I know our, all our teachers and our leaders and our volunteers, they are diligently preparing for VBS. And so I just encourage you to pray for them. It's a lot getting ready for VBS. And about there's so much excitement come Monday of VBS, and then about Wednesday, everybody's looking for the exit door. And so just be in prayer for them as they prepare for VBS, and be in prayer for our kiddos that week, and be in prayer that God would work mightily in their lives through the course of VBS. And so, of course, you can see a few other things going on in your bulletin. I encourage you to look at that. But I'm going to open this up in a word of prayer, and we'll continue in worship. Let's pray. Father God, we do give you this day. God, would you be honored and glorified? God, would you be lifted up by everything that we say and do? God, we love you. We praise you. God, help us to lay aside our distractions and burdens and cares and focus on you and give you the honor and the glory that you are due. And we praise you. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand again and worship. Thank you. 
Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for the powerful name of Jesus that we get to worship together today. God, may we continue to worship as we open your word this morning. God, may you speak through Zach. May he be used to make much of you this morning. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this time. Amen. So again, just to echo, so glad you're here today. And just want to take a moment before we get to the book of Haggai, uh, just say thank you for all of the birthday wishes last week. Uh, I've never watched Gunsmoke or Bonanza a day in my life, but got into old age and decided to start watching it. And uh, it's actually really good. Um, and so now that I'm, I'm up in years now, I uh, started watching Gunsmoke and Bonanza, started taking a couple naps each day, um, just kind of settling into this new season of old age in which I find myself. And so, but no, we appreciate you and thank you for all of the birthday wishes this past week. And so the book of Haggai, and so we're still in chapter one, we'll wrap up chapter one this week. And so just to recap what we looked at last week in the introduction to the book of Haggai, we, we see that the people of Israel, they have this problem. They've returned from the exile and we, we can read about that in Ezra and Nehemiah. And they've returned from the exile. And they've been there a few years, but they have not completed the temple yet. They haven't restored their worship. And by 
all standards and measures, it's apparent it's not that high on their priority list. They said they would eventually get to it. They just said it's not yet time to rebuild the temple. And so God, through the prophet Haggai, speaks to the people. He says, well, why are you living in these nice paneled houses while the house of God lies in ruins? You see, they had an issue of priorities. Their priorities were everything else except for the house of God. Their priorities were everything else except the worship of their creator. Instead of the worship of the God who brought them out of Egypt. Instead of the worship of the God who brought them out of exile. They were different priorities. See that where we end this message. And then we come to this last part of chapter 1 that we'll read together starting in verse 12. It says, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the year of Darius the king. Let's pray together. Father God, we give you this time. God, would you speak to us through your word. God, help us to worship you through the proclamation of your word. Would you be magnified in our midst today? And God, will give you all the praise, honor, and glory. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So just as we said last week, the ends of this proclamation is made that they are to rebuild the temple. And literally God tells them to look around and he says, you see, based on your, on your priorities being out of whack, a lot of stuff is going on and a lot of bad things are happening around you. And so we come to verse 12 and we see that first and foremost, the people move. The people move. So it says, then Zerubbabel and Joshua, with all the remnant of people, obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. And so they hear the message proclaimed. They hear Haggai the prophet say, okay, you're not doing what you've been called to do. You're not worshiping God, the creator of the universe. It is time to rebuild the house of God. And I want you to notice as the people move, they're moving in unity. It begins, it's top down for the people of Israel. 
Zerubbabel and Joshua, they're the leaders, both political and religious. They are the leaders of Israel, and it begins with them, but it doesn't end with them. It says all the remnant of the people. So it's all of them. There is unity in their obedience. Can I just pause here and just say, church, to be the type of church that God has called us to be, it requires unity in obedience. Like it can't just be a small handful of people that are following what God tells us to do. And it can't just be the people without the leaders, and it can't just be the leaders without the people, but that, that there's something that happens when a church rallies together in unity to follow after what God has commanded. And that's exactly what we see here. It's the leaders and the people. But I want to pause here because Haggai says something interesting. He describes it as the remnant of the people. All throughout the Old Testament, we see this imagery of the remnant. And it kind of means a few different things. In one sense, a, a remnant is referred to as an actual group of people who are believing in the midst of a larger group of people who are non-believing. And so the group of believing, that small sect, is oftentimes referred to as the remnant. But then also it can just refer to just a small group of people. And I believe the way Haggai is using it here is he's not talking about a small group of people within a larger group of people, but simply just a small group of people. And I got to thinking about that this week. Because we talked last week about they probably had some legitimate reasons for waiting to re rebuild the temple. I mean, surely God would understand that they've got to get their own homes in order. They've got to get their own jobs back. They've got to do all of this stuff before they can start to rebuild the temple. Or there's political unrest in the regions around Israel at this time. Surely God would understand if they just waited for a little more stability before they started to rebuild the temple. Surely God would understand that. But I think this week in this text, now granted, this is just me hypothesizing, but I, I, I just wonder, Nelson, when they came back, I wonder, I just wonder if they got to looking around going, there, were, there used to be a lot more people here. Surely God would understand if we waited till we got some more people. Surely we can really start the work when we get a few more people here in Jerusalem. Surely we can wait. Like, there's just not that many of us. We're just a small remnant. How can we expect God to use such a small remnant of people to do this massive undertaking? Now, I don't know. <laughs> Again, I'm hypothesizing. But I just wonder if that was in the back of their minds, Nelson. We're just a remnant. 
Surely there was those that had been part of the, an older generation that remembered when Israel was flourishing, remembered when there were multitudes of people, and now they gather together back in Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, and they're looking around going, it ain't what it used to be. I just wonder if that was in the back of their minds. And can I say this this morning, church? In kind of church world and church life, it is so easy to slip into the mindset, we'll do something if we just get a few more people in the door. Like if, if we just had a few more people in attendance, God could really use this place. Like if we just had a few more volunteers, God could really use this place. If we just got a few more people who tithe regularly, God could really use this place. And we can slip into that mindset. And church, here's, here's my, my experience with that. I've, I've, I've served at churches that... If we had 50 on a Sunday, it was a really good Sunday. That was a high attendance Sunday when there was 50. And I've served at churches that had thousands in regular attendance. And hear me say this, that culture is not dictated by attendance. A church that disciples and a church that is focused on discipleship will disciple whether there's a hundred in the room or a thousand in the room. A church that is mission-focused and mission-minded will be mission-minded whether there's a hundred in the room or a thousand in the room. A church that gives sacrificially of their time, talent, and treasures will do that whether there's a hundred in the room or a thousand in the room. Churches don't magically change because they grow in attendance. Culture is not dictated by attendance. So the problem for the Israelites is they're just a small remnant. What are they supposed to do? Well, they do exactly what they did. They were obedient to the voice of the Lord. And what do we as a church do? We be obedient to the voice of the Lord. We, obe we be obedient to what God has called us to do. And what has he called us to do? To make disciples of the nations. That's it. That's our purpose. That's why we exist, is to make disciples of the nations. We exist to make disciples here in Hall County, Banks, Habersham, in this area, in this particular context. We exist to make disciples. That's it. So we be obedient to that. And we trust God to sort out the rest of the details. So they were obedient to the voice of the Lord. Now notice that little phrase, voice of the Lord. They didn't, the people didn't hear the voice of the Lord. Zerubbabel didn't hear the voice of the Lord. Joshua didn't hear the voice of the Lord. It was Haggai who had divine revelation, but responding to divine revelation is to respond to the voice of the Lord. Don't miss that. So anytime we open up scripture, 
And God commands us, God directs us in how we are to live, what we're supposed to be about, what we're supposed to be doing. It is though God is standing directly and saying face to face, here's what you are to do. Anytime we open up the scripture, we are hearing from the voice of the Lord. So they obeyed, they responded to the voice of the Lord. And then notice this little phrase, their God. If we go back up, last, in last week we saw this, going back up to verse 2, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, these People say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. We made notice of last week just how unique this phrase is that God does not look at them and say, my people. Why? Because they were not living according to their identity. They were living in direct opposition to their identity as the people of God. And now all of a sudden they begin to live consistent with their identity as the people of God. So notice the relationship is now restored. The voice of the Lord, their God. In the words of Haggai the prophet, as as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Notice this reverential awe is restored. What do we need today as the modern day church? We need a restoration and revival of all of the Lord. That when is the last time we paused and considered the might and the majesty and the power of God and it just left us speechless? That's all. We just pause and we consider how great and how mighty God is. And we just sit in awe of him. That's what it means to fear the Lord. So this was restored in the people. So they had unity. They obeyed and they feared God. But then we see that God speaks. Verse 13, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. To the people, they're sitting there going, okay, we're going we're gonna to do this. We're, we're going to get our priorities right. We're going to make worship a priority. We're going to make the house of God a priority. And there's a lot of stuff going on that would say we need to do otherwise. There's issues going on. There's not a whole lot of us, but we've decided to do this, to take this step, to make this a priority. So what does God say? I'm with you. I am present. I'm in the midst of this. I am with you. It's a big undertaking, is it not? Imagine there, there you are, and you're in this small group of Israelites, and you're sitting there looking at the ruins of the temple. You're sitting there looking at the ruins of where worship used to take place. You're sitting there looking at the ruins going, how is this ever going to be restored? 
God goes, I'm with you. He doesn't lay out a plan. He doesn't go, here's the blueprints to the new temple. He doesn't send them some craftsmen. He just simply says, I am with you. I am present. And we see this all throughout the scripture, do we not? When Joshua takes the reins from Moses, and Moses, I absolutely love Joshua 1. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now get up. But what does God promise Joshua? I'm with you. Surely this undertaking is too large. God, you want me to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. That's a big undertaking. You know these people. These are difficult people. These are stubborn people. And you're telling me you want me to lead them into the promised land. I'm with you. Fast forward to the New Testament. We come to the Great Commission. We've looked at it multiple times. What does Jesus say at the very end of the Great Commission? And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Like, Jesus, you want us to go to the nations and make disciples. That's a big undertaking. That's difficult. That's hard. That seems impossible in our minds. I'm with you always. You see, anytime we begin to wrestle with the magnitude of problems, it is always resolved by wrestling with the magnitude of his presence. And I just wonder, church, what would things look like if we were acutely aware of God's presence at all times? Like what would life groups look like if we gathered together and we're, and we're not just gathering together for the sake of gathering together, but we're gathering together going, God's in the room. What, what would, what would our, our deacons meetings and our church team meetings and our leadership meetings and our staff meetings, what would those look like if we were sitting there going, we're meeting, but God is in the room? What would those look like? What would it look like when we gathered together for worship? And we're not just singing to a God who's out there in the distant cosmos somewhere. But we're singing to the God who is in the room. Do you think that would shape the way we approached everything? What if evangelism and missions was not just us going out on our own, but as I'm having that conversation, as I'm sharing the gospel with that person... God is there. As I'm discipling someone, it's not just me and my own intellect and my own power and my own abilities to disciple that person, but God is present in that. How would that radically shape our lives to sit back and go, God is present? He is not distant, He is not far off but he's here. 
He's not waiting for me to report back to him on how the day went. But he's present in the midst of it. So in all of this undertaking, to rebuild the temple, to restore the house of God, and to do what God had called them to do, and to worship God again, God reminds them that he is present, that he is with them. So the people move, God speaks, and then lastly, God acts, acts. Can't say that word this morning. It says the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. So what does God do? It says He stirred up the spirit. Spirit here in Hebrew can mean a variety of different things, wind, spirit, God's spirit. I think what he's referring to here is just the mind of the people. But what I love is this term, stirred up. It it literally means to awaken out of a slumber. Does anybody here know anybody that sleepwalks or sleep talks? Husbands and wives are looking at each other right now. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, Whitney's sitting right here. Um, Whitney doesn't sleep talk a lot, but when she does, she gets her money's worth out of it. I'll never forget, we had just moved into Florida, into our house down in Florida. This was a while ago. And so literally, this is within three or four days of moving in. New house. It's just us in the house. And we're laying there one night, and I'm, Whitney's already asleep, and I'm kind of half asleep, dozing in and out. Well, Whitney kept going, what was that? I'm awake now. So what are you talking about? No response. What are you talking about? Still no response. I said, okay, she's, she's not talking to me. Well, a few minutes go by, Whitney pops up out of bed and goes, who's the lady in the corner? (laughs) That was the fastest I have ever jumped out of the bed before. Said, what? I freaked out. I didn't sleep the rest of the night. (laughs) I, I thought we had moved into a haunted house or something. But here's the crazy thing about sleepwalking and sleep talking is that you don't actually know you're doing it. If you knew you were sleepwalking, you wouldn't be sleepwalking. You would just be regular walking. But that's where the danger comes in is that you don't actually know you're sleepwalking. And as God stirs up the spirit, literally he's awakening the people from their slumber. Literally, it's as though the people of Israel had just been sleepwalking since they got back from exile. They had just kind of been going through the motions. God did this mighty and miraculous thing in bringing them back home. And yet, what did they need to do? They need to be woken up. 
And I just wonder, church, how many of us need to be woken up? How many of us are just sleepwalking through this Christian life? We're just kind of going through the motions that this is what we do. We may say a few prayers. We may open up a Bible app a couple times a week and then come on Sundays. But we're just sleepwalking. We're still asleep. And here's what has to happen. It has to be God that wakes you up. Because I can stand up here and I can give you the best rhetoric and I can try to pump you up and motivate you as much as I can. And that may last a few days, it may last a few weeks, but it will not last. What is it that lasts in the Christian life when God wakes you up from your slumber? When you get a vision of who God is and what God has called you to, that is what wakes you up out of your slumber. It doesn't come from a motivational speech. It doesn't come from reading a really good book. It comes from God waking us up to who he is and what he has called us to. That is what stirs us up. That is what wakes us from our slumber. So we see that God stirs them up. God wakes them up. Notice what it says, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And we see the repetition of their God. It says they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts. You see, it would have been a lot of talk. It would have been really good. See, it's one thing for the people to say, yes, we're going to rebuild the temple. Yes, we're going to restore our worship. Yes, we're going to renew this vision of who God is. But how easy would it have been for them to go, but see, I, I, I really need to go back to working on my house. Because based on the timeline here, about three weeks have passed since the original message was preached. How easy would it have been to go, you know, Haggai, that sounds good. But I still have these other things I got to take care of. You know, Haggai, I know worship is important. I know rebuilding the temple is important, but you've got to understand, I really need to take care of this first. It would have been incredibly easy. But instead, what do the people do? They begin to work. They said, you know what, Haggai, you're right. The worship of the true and living God should be my priority. Over against 
anything else. This should be my priority. And it moves from should be to is as soon as they pick up the hammer. It moves from should be to is as soon as they join in on the work. They move their priorities as soon as they begin the work. So as we close this morning, we have our central idea. And it's this, the work of rebuilding the house of God begins with understanding God's presence and power to do the work. The work of rebuilding the house of God begins with understanding God's presence and power to do the work. As the band comes back to the stage, I've, I've wrestled with this text all week. Just where, where we are as a church and what God is calling us to do, this text hit home this week. And I'm trying not to get ahead of myself because this is next week's message, but I firmly believe this church that the best days of airline are to come. It's a sad day when a church looks back and says our best days were back here. And I know I'm getting ahead of myself. That's next week's message. I gave you a little advertisement for free. But I firmly believe that church. But the question is, how do we get there? How do we be the church that God has called us to be? How do we be the church that this community needs Airline Baptist Church to be? How do we be that church? How do we be the church that makes disciples of the nations? How do we be the church that lifts high the name of Jesus? How do we be that church? I believe it goes back to these two points. We must understand his presence and his power. How do we be the church God has called us to be? We understand we don't do it alone. That he is present. That he is in the midst of it. It's very easy as a church to try to plan and program things that we can plan and program things and leave God on the outside of the door. Thinking we've got it figured out. We know what we're doing and completely miss God being in the midst of it. But then second is his power. His power to do what only he can do. There's no power in and of myself. 
There's no power in and of our staff. There's no power in and of our deacons. There's no power in and of our life group teachers. But he has all the power. He has all authority. And he can, he is the only one that can do what he can do. And so instead of leaning into our own power, leaning into our own wisdom, leaning into our own intellect, we lean into his. That's the first step in being the church that God has called us to be. So just as in Haggai's day, the call is still the same. Is this a priority to us? Is seeing the worship of the true and living God a priority? And if it is a priority, then we'll remember his presence and his power. If you need to come pray, come pray at this altar. If you need somebody to pray with you, I'll be standing over here. We'll have Chase over here as well if you need somebody to pray with you. But will you join me in praying to that end today? Will you join me in praying that we would be a church that would understand his presence and his power? That we would be a church that would prioritize the worship of the God of the universe. Will you join me in praying for that today? Let's pray. Father God, we do praise you. We honor you. We lift you up. God, we pray now. God, help us to prioritize you in all that we do. That, God, we would prioritize the worship of the living God above all else. And that we as a church would be acutely aware of your presence and your power. That you are in the midst of us today. And, God, you are awakening us. So, God, would you move in our midst, and we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we respond today.
a seat. And so again, thank you for being here today. If you're visiting with us, uh, I want to thank you for being here. We have a gift for you in the back. We'd love to give you that on your way out. So you just come by and see me. We'd love to meet with you, spend some time with you, um, and give you that gift on your way out. And so again, be in prayer for everything coming up. Um, and so again, Wednesday night, we're going to have pizza and probably play a few games together, some some group bonding time, um, but then as well, we're going to spend some time just kind of prayer walking the campus. And so you can see that in your bulletin. And then, of course, sign up for VBS. If you haven't signed your kiddos up or signed your neighbor's kiddos up, you can still do that. And then be here Sunday night for the luau. And so the one other quick important announcement. Okay, some of you have been asking. In the coming weeks... We are going to be starting up a choir, okay? <laughs> okay. So if you are interested, based on, based on the number of questions I have received, I expect the choir loft to be full, okay? But if you are interested in being a part of that, please see Quest. It'll, have, it'll also have a sign-up sheet next week. All right, so if you are interested, please see Quez and talk to him. Um, and so we'll give you some more details and information on that. With that being said, we're going to close in prayer. I'm going to ask Chase if he'll close us in prayer, kind of put him on the spot there. Um, but we'll dismiss in prayer. If you're visiting with us, come see me out in the foyer. Again, thank you so much for being here today. And let's close in prayer. Absolutely. Let's pray. Father, we thank you because you are an awesome God who, who calls us. When we were a long way off, you called us into relationship with you, God. And even whenever we were asleep, you wake us up. God, awaken your church today. Let us go out off this hill and have an impact, not for us, not for airline, but for your kingdom. It's your name we pray. Amen.